Uh, we're actually in the fourth week of, of a sermon series on rediscovering joy. We're doing this through the book of Philippians, which is a book in the New Testament uh, in the Bible. We're going to stay this week in the same passage that we uh, began looking at last week, which is actually the middle portion of the first chapter of the book of Philippians. Uh, Sarita is going to help us read the passage out, and it's going to come, come up for us on the screen. Over to you, Sarita. Hi, everyone. Is my, is my audio clear? It's good. Thank you. Go ahead. Okay. Philippians 1, 18 to 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So to me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to dwell in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Paul is rejoicing here. And he is rejoicing at something that we may not immediately recognize. As we look at what Paul is rejoicing, I want to invite us to reflect for a moment on the universe of joy that we have all built for ourselves. I want to invite us to just take a moment to reflect on what have been some of the biggest joys in your life? Look back. Try and recollect some of the most joyful moments in your life. Um, your first job, you know, walking into your first day uh, at office of a dream job. Of course, that was a joyful moment. Maybe getting into a college that you really wanted to get into. Every increment, every promotion, I'm sure, is, is very joyful and should be. Getting married, joy, the expectation in, in the days and the weeks, the run-up to the wedding. What a beautiful time of joy. Becoming a mother or a father, you know, welcoming your first one into the world. What a, what a joyful moment that is. Seeing your children grow up. Um, seeing your children get married. Seeing grandchildren, right? Different seasons in life bring different aspects of joy. Um, and I hope that the most unparalleled of joys for each of us is us coming to faith in Christ Jesus, us coming to believe in Jesus. So, in a sense, this is the universe of our joy. And I guess I've kind of captured most of the big things that bring us. Great joy. But in this universe of joy that I just outlined, we have forgotten one 
key piece. There is one piece that's missing. And I'm going to allow you to kind of try keep trying to figure out what that missing piece is for a few minutes. And if you, if you have thoughts, what this missing piece of joy in our lives could be, I want to encourage you to just type it out on the chat box. We'll see if anyone's able to get it right. Go ahead. It's from the passage. Um, we are missing this piece of joy in our lives, but Paul is not. He's, he's clearly referring to this missing piece of joy in our lives in the passage that we just read. So from the passage, I'd like to draw three things out for us. First, three things from this passage. First, how Paul makes us aware of this missing piece of joy in our lives. Second, why we often miss this piece of joy. And third, growing in this missing piece of joy. Three things, how Paul makes us aware of the missing piece of joy in our lives. Why we often miss this piece of joy and growing in this piece of joy. Those are the three things we're going to be looking at. Let's dive into the first thing. How Paul is making us aware of this missing piece of joy in our lives. Let me give us a quick recap of, of where exactly Paul is at in the moment he's, he's writing this passage. We saw that last week. Uh, he was jailed unfairly. He was shamed. He was beaten. He was given an unfair trial or trials. There was a murder attempt, there was a mob attack, there was a shipwreck, there was a snake fight. Paul was going through a lot of difficult circumstances, but yet what was coming out of him was joy. And he is writing this letter, the passage that we read, is written in prison in Rome when Paul is chained to a Roman soldier 24 by 7. And out of this place, Paul writes in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. When a man who's been in prison without a charge sheet or without a fair trial for two to three years, uh, changed 24 by 7 to a Roman soldier, when a man like this speaks about deliverance, what do you think he would be referring We would immediately think being freed from jail. That's what deliverance would be to us in this, uh, these circumstances. But that's not what Paul is implying here. Paul is saying, this will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. What is this that's going to turn out for his deliverance? Pretty obvious from the passage. He's talking about his imprisonment. Paul is saying, my imprisonment is going to lead to my deliverance. Does this, does this make any sense? How is this unfair imprisonment going to lead to his deliverance? It's a little confusing because the word deliverance here is, is not a great translation. Uh, if you look at other versions, if you look at the King James Version, for example, if you go back to the original Greek, uh, the word here for deliverance is actually not deliverance. It is salvation. 
That's what Paul is saying in this writing. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying this imprisonment is going to be for my salvation. That's even more confusing. How can this unfair imprisonment, how is this leading to Paul's imprisonment? The word salvation, whenever we think of it, actually refers to three things. If you look at the KJV, that's what it says. Yeah, salvation. The word salvation actually includes three things. There's justification, there's sanctification, and there's glorification. All of this is salvation. Justification is the moment we come to faith in Christ Jesus. In that moment, our sins are washed clean. We are accepted as God's child. Sanctification is the lifelong journey of us growing more and more, having been pronounced righteous, already growing more and more in the image and likeness of Christ Jesus. And glorification is when Christ is going to come again and we're going to be transformed. Our bodies are going to be transformed into his image and likeness. So when Paul says in this verse that this is leading to my salvation, what he's really meaning is that I'm rejoicing because this unfair and unjust and prolonged imprisonment will turn out for my sanctification. This is the correct reading, complete reading of this verse. Paul is saying, I am rejoicing. I am joyful because this unfair and unjust imprisonment is leading to my sanctification. This is the missing piece of joy in our lives. Finding joy in our sanctification. Experiencing the thrill of joy when we become a little more like Jesus. Experiencing the thrill of joy when we are able to say no to a temptation and give ourselves fully Christ Jesus. How are we finding any joy in our sanctification? Think about it. When was the last time you experienced a thrill of joy in a moment of sanctification. Think of all the joys you've experienced. We, we looked at the, our universe of joy. Do the, does the joys that we experienced in all of these good things that God has given us and the joy we experienced for our sanctification, do they match up? Are we finding as much joy in being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ Jesus as we are experiencing in getting married or getting a new job or getting a promotion or, 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 or whatever it is? This is the missing piece of joy in our lives. We do not, we do not find as much joy in our sanctification as we ought to. 
reality in the real living of our lives and building of our careers, we all find so little joy being sanctified. One of the defining aspects of joy is expectation. You know, when there's joy, there's always expectation. Think about marriage. Think about a man and a woman who are getting married. I mean, they're going to be expecting it for a year. They're going to be live in expectation, right? Or, or, or even a new assignment or, or a new promotion. You, you're going to be looking forward to it with expectation. Joy is always accompanied by eager expectation. How are we experiencing eager expectation about our ongoing sanctification? The sad truth is that we have all, myself first, we have all been living our lives without cherishing and valuing and experiencing the joy of our sanctification. And, and this lack of joy in our sanctification is a telling commentary of our current spiritual status. We have drifted. We have moved away from the joy of the gospel. Paul is experiencing this joy in his sanctification. Think about it. He's lost his ministry. If you remember last week's sermon, his ministry was unfairly taken away. His successful ministry was unfairly just just yanked away from him, taken away from him, torn away from him, and he was thrown into jail. And rather than sit and grow that, become bitter and all that, Paul is saying, all this has happened for my sanctification. And he is rejoicing that this very hardship, which has taken away his ministry from him, he is rejoicing because even though his ministry has been taken away, Christ can never be taken away from And he has experienced sanctification. He has experienced in his heart that he has not been crushed that this ministry has been taken away, but he is still joyful. He is seeing his heart has been sanctified and he is rejoicing that sanctification. That's the first thing I wanted to draw for us from this passage. How Paul makes us aware the missing piece of scientific, missing piece of joy in our lives. And that is the joy of sanctification. Finding joy in our sanctification is the missing piece of joy in our lives. The second thing I'd like to draw for us from this passage is why we often miss this piece of joy. Why do we miss this? I think it's it's apparent to us that we are not delighting in our sanctification. Our life is not being defined by the delight of sanctification. Hey, list on list on the top ten things that gave you the most joy in the last year. You know, if I had had to make make this list before I began preparing for the sermon, I can assure you the joy of sanctification would not have been there. 
We don't consider it to be a big joy. That's to our loss. But why? Why do we miss out on this joy of sanctification? Why do we forget this joy of sanctification? And I'd like to suggest three reasons why we miss the joy of sanctification. We miss the joy of sanctification because we have misunderstood life. We miss the joy of sanctification because we have misunderstood joy. And we miss the joy of sanctification because we have misunderstood sanctification. Those are the three things I want to quickly draw across. First, we miss the joy of sanctification because we have misunderstood life. What is life? What is the meaning of life? One way the Bible invites us to look at life is to see life as a pilgrimage. When they became followers of Jesus, there was a definitive change in our identity. Our citizenship changed. We're no longer citizens of this world. We are now pilgrims. Writer Dane Ortland, he puts it like this. He says, before we came to Christ, before we came to faith in Christ, we were at home with the world, but we were strangers to God. But when we came to faith in Jesus, we are at home with God. We've now become strangers in this world. We've become pilgrims. We don't belong to this world. We are not residents of this world. We are pilgrims. And so if we are strongly attached to the things of this world, we are living as residents of this world. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't be attached to the things of the world, things that God has given us. Those are good and beautiful things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if we are too attached to the things of this world, if we are attached to the things of this world more than we are attached to Christ, then we are living with a resident mindset. On the other hand, if we are attached to Christ more than we are attached to the things of the world, then we are living in a pilgrim mindset. So if we are living with a resident mindset, we are not going to find joy in our sanctity. We're going to find joy only in the things of the world. But if we are living as, with a pilgrim mindset, we are going to find joy in our sanctification. Again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not calling us to withdraw from it. I'm not calling us to, to um, live in a monastery. I'm not calling us to a monastic life. Not at all. That's not where Jesus called us to. Jesus called us to be in the world. In, in, in John chapter 17, he talks about be in the world, but not of it. So pilgrim, all of us as pilgrims, as followers of Jesus, we are very much in the world, but we are not of this world. We miss the joy of sanctification because we misunderstood life. Life is not about settling in this world. Life is about living as pilgrims. We're all on a pilgrimage towards Christ Jesus. The second reason we miss the joy of sanctification is because we have misunderstood joy. What is joy? Uh, through this book of Philippians in the Bible, we are exploring the question, what is joy? What is, what is really joy? 
And we kind of hit upon this in, in the very first sermon in the series, where we talked about joy as being the very nature of God. Joy is as much an attribute of God as his, his holiness or as his, his love. And one of the persons who really helped me understand joy is a man named Jonathan Edwards. He was a Puritan preacher. He, he lived uh, roughly 300 years ago. And he was an amazing teacher and preacher of the Bible. And Edwards believed that the very existence of the universe is because of joy. And he argued that the world exists only because of the joyous mutual love between the Trinity. The love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was just so beautiful. It was just so, so powerful that the Trinity, that the joy that the Trinity experienced could not be contained within themselves. And it just exploded outside, leading to the creation of the universe. Jonathan Edwards, I don't know if he understood the Big Bang Theory, but Jonathan Edwards would have said that the Big Bang Theory is, is the Big Bang of God's joyful joy being expressed in, in the rest of, of the universe. And Jonathan Edwards says that to become a Christian is to be swept into the joy that the Trinity is experiencing. Become a follower of Jesus is to be swept into the joy and to grow as a follower of Jesus is to just simmer and grow in this joy. So when we come to faith in Jesus, we're swept into the joy of the Trinity. And to be sanctified, therefore, is to merely grow in, the, in experiencing the joy of the Trinity. And so Jonathan Edwards would argue that to find joy in anything in the universe apart from God, who is the source of all joy, is meaningless is meaningless. Joy is not joy apart from God. Joy is not joy if God is not in the picture, because he is the source and the substance of all joy. Jonathan Edwards defines joy as the sweetness of resting satisfied in God in the beauty of his love. Jonathan Edwards was very gifted with words. This is what he said. Everything in this universe is only a mere shadow of true joy. But God is the substance of all true joy. Every other joy this universe can offer are but scattered rays of light. But God is the sun. All other joys are mere streams, but God is the fountain of joy. Every other joy are but drops, but God is the ocean of joy. Joy is not joy if God is not the picture. We have all misunderstood joy. We misunderstood joy because we have photoshopped God out of our picture of joy. If you were to paint, if we were to paint a picture of joy, as we've been seeing the last few weeks, God maybe wouldn't be in that picture. Sadly, 
in the pictures of joy, in the pretty pictures of life, as we imagine it, we have reduced God to be a photobomber who may sometimes make an unexpected appearance. That's what we've reduced joy, God to, in our picture of joy. And so if God is the essence and the source of all joy, then true gospel joy can only be found in the emptying of ourselves and filling of ourselves with God. If God is the true source and substance, substance of all joy, there is no joy in self-promotion. There is no joy self-gratulation. There is no joy self-justification. Christian joy, gospel joy, always lie in, lies in the emptying of ourselves and the filling up of ourselves. In one sense, that is what sanctification is all about. The emptying of ourselves and the filling of ourselves with Christ. The second reason we've missed, we've missed the joy of sanctification is because we've misunderstood joy. The third reason we've missed the joy of sanctification is that we have misunderstood sanctification. That's the third reason we've missed the joy of sanctification. We have complicated our understanding of sanctification. At its, at its most basic level, sanctification is growing in our joy in Christ Jesus. I, I said this earlier, when we came to faith in Jesus, we were swept into the joy of the Trinity. And to be sanctified is to just merely grow in the joy of the Trinity. And so if we, if we see sanctification through this prism, something really shifts. There's, there's a big shift that happens in our, in, a, in, in, a, in our perspective. And here's the shift that happens. Sanctification is not about changing what we do. Sanctification is about changing what we want. Sanctification is not about becoming better in our behavior, but sanctification is about becoming better in our desires. It's about becoming better in what brings us joy. So the key question in sanctification is not, are we getting better? The key, key question is, what do you want? What brings you joy? How have our desires changed? We misunderstood sanctification because we all tend to focus on behavior. And, and, and we can all confirm to the right behavior, but with the wrong motives. And we could deceive ourselves, fool ourselves into believing we are growing and we are being sanctified. You know, take, take reading the Bible, for example. It's a good behavior. We want that. But we know that reading, we can read the Bible for many motives. One motive is I have, uh, I'm going into a critical season in my career. If I don't read the Bible, God's not going to bless me. 
or maybe a fear. Hey, if I don't remain faithful, God's going to mess up my promotion. Right? So we're still reading the Bible. The behavior, and in terms of behavior, we're still being sanctified. But in terms of desire, we're not at all being sanctified. So sanctification cannot be defined as behavior. It has to be defined as desire. What brings us joy? In the, in the illustration that I just used, what brings us joy is career. Not God. But if you're reading the Bible daily for the love of Jesus, for the beauty of Jesus, that is sanctification. You can apply the same logic to generosity as well. Oh, if I don't tithe regularly, if I don't uh, give regularly, uh, God's really going to mess up my next increment. Or I'm a leader in the church. How can I not give? That's right. No. Christ gave himself for me. So least I can do is give up my time. See, that's true sanctification. So even generosity as a behavior need not mean we are being sanctified. Sanctification is to be understood not as a change of behavior, but as a change of desire. What we desire is what brings us joy. Sanctification is all about a reorientation of our joy. This is how Jonathan Edwards defines sanctification. He says, sanctification is the joyous pilgrimage of a soul that through new birth has become alive to the enthralling beauty of God. Sanctification is all about joy. I hope we're able to see how closely joy and sanctification are intertwined. To be sanctified is to become more joyful in Christ. That's sanctification. Not taking the boxes. Not filling out the rules. Growing in sanctification is growing in joy. We don't generally see sanctification as a joyful exercise. The three reasons why we miss on the joy of sanctification. I want to look close with the, with the last thing we're looking at this morning from the passage. Growing in this missing piece of joy. I, I think we're all now aware we're not enjoying our sanctification. We're not growing the joy of us. So how do we grow in this? That's what we're going to close. One of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons why we don't um, enjoy our sanctification, why we don't experience more joy in our sanctification is because we have always seen holiness or, or growth or sanctification as a mere moral obligation. We've seen holiness only as a moral value. Be good. Obey all the rules. Tick all the boxes. Then you're sanctified. Uh, sanctification is, is a moral theme. But this view of sanctification is skewed and it's incomplete. We will all continue to struggle with sanctification, with the joy of sanctification, if we see sanctification only as a moral pursuit. In this case, 
our sanctification is going to be a joyless ticking of the boxes. This kind of sanctification will not be joyful. On the contrary, it's going to be burdensome. This kind of sanctification is not going to bring joy. It's not going to bring freedom. On the other hand, it's going to bring worry. Because we're constantly going to be thinking, hey, have I ticked this box? Have I ticked this box? Have I angered or disappointed God by not taking this box? box? And so the Bible does not present sanctification only as a moralistic exercise. It does not give us only a moralistic take on sanctification. It gives us an aesthetic view of sanctification. Not moralistic, but aesthetic. Let me explain that. And here again, I'm borrowing from Jonathan Edwards. Biblical holiness, biblically, Biblically, holiness or sanctification is not about becoming more moral, but biblically, holiness or sanctification is about becoming more beautiful. Being sanctified is not only about becoming more moral, but being sanctified is about becoming more beautiful. Which is why I, I said, uh, biblically, sanctification is not just a moral value, but biblically, sanctification is an aesthetic value. In other words, in other words, sanctification is beautification. To be sanctified is to be beautified made more beautiful in God's eyes. Beauty always brings joy to our hearts. Tell me, who of you have not experienced joy when you felt you've grown become more beautiful? This is physical, of course, but equally true. The spiritual realities of our Sanctification is not ticking the boxes. Sanctification is to become more beautiful. Sanctification is beautification. To be sanctified is to be beautified. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is important. Hold on. Where on earth, where in the Bible am I getting this idea that sanctification is beautiful? I know it sounds good and I know our hearts are lapping it up. But but don't take anything that I say or anything anyone says unless the truth is, is really grounded in the Bible. So can you please show me where in the Bible does this idea that sanctification is beautification exist? Oh, it does. Oh, it does. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25, 27. I'm going to spend 10 minutes on this passage and be close. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We know that Christ gave himself for us, his church, but dying on the cross for us. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Hang on to that word splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that. Hang on to that word that. She might be holy. Hang on to that third word holy and without blemish. The word splendor that we saw comes from the Greek word endoxos, which means glorious or hold your breath. The Greek word endoxos actually means gorgeous, drop dead beautiful. Word splendor means gorgeous or drop dead beautiful. Christ wants a bride who is drop dead beautiful. End of songs. Christ loved the church. Let me let me rephrase this passage in the light of this this original word. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. What does sanctification lead to? What does sanctification make us? What When Christ sanctifies us, what do we become? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself. The, the end result of Christ sanctifying us is that we become endoxos or gorgeous or drop dead beautiful in the eyes of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that. Now, drop that beautiful is not the end. Drop that beautiful is actually, this gorgeous is actually causing something else. That Christ wants us to be gorgeous that she might be holy. Jesus has just equated Beauty and holiness. Endoxos, gorgeous, glorious, splendor, is holiness without blemish. Christ died for the church. Christ died the church, sorry, Christ died for the church so that he might present her to himself gorgeous, that is, she might be holy. Which is where I'm getting this idea, this truth, that to be sanctified is to be beautified. Sanctification is not about taking boxes. Sanctification is about becoming holy. I'm not just playing with words here. I'm not just trying to twist words to get a meaning. Look at the entire context of the passage. All of us are familiar. Most of us are familiar with Ephesians chapter 5. If you're an explorer of Jesus, if you're not uh, familiar with this passage, this passage is, is talking about, compares earthly marriage as something that's pointing to the marriage to come between Christ and all of us as followers of Christ, his, his bride. 
So the entire context of this passage is, is marriage. Christ is the groom. We, the church, are his bride. And do you know what every bride does before her wedding? Can you guess what every bride does before her wedding? She beautifies herself. She beautifies herself for her husband. Our sanctification is a beautification. It's not just a play of words. That's the essence of what this entire passage is talking about sanctification of his church, his bride that Jesus is doing there is preparation for his wedding. Our sanctification is our beautification. We must not limit our view of sanctification to a mere moral pursuit. In Christ, sanctification is an aesthetic pursuit. In Christ, sanctification is the pursuit of beauty and beauty always brings joy. But there is one big difference between earthly marriage and the marriage between the wedding between Christ and his, and his church. In the earthly wedding, the, the bride beautifies herself. In the heavenly, eternal wedding, Christ, the bridegroom, he beautifies his bride. Why did he do that? No bride is good enough, beautiful enough. Be the bride of Christ. And how Christ beautify his bride? Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify. Christ beautified his bride. By dying on the cross, taking the punishment for all of your sins and mine upon himself. Jesus Christ, the source and the substance, all beauty in this universe. Jesus Christ, the creator of all beauty in this universe, he became ugly on the cross. Ugly in the eyes of men because they mocked him. Ugly in the eyes of God. God, the Father turned his face away. That's how Jesus made us beautiful. He took our ugliness upon himself and he gave all of his beauty to us so that we might be his bride. And, and, and so Sin more and more is to become more and more ugly. To be sanctified more and more is to become more and more beautiful. Become sanctified is to become beautified. Sanctification is more than a mere picking of the boxes. In Christ, our sanctification is our beautification because we are his gorgeous right. Let us pray. Father, we worship you, Lord. Lord, I pray by your spirit, would you change the desires of our hearts? 
thought, will you change what we perceive is beautiful? Help us grow in the shallow, narrow views of beauty, joy that we have. Widen our perspective, expand our horizons, Lord. Help us to see truth, the true beauty, true joy lies only in Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no beauty, there is no joy in anything. And as we live our lives, pursue our careers, live our marriages, Father, we pray in the name of Christ Jesus, help us to see Christ, the most beautiful one, at the center of it all. Help us to pursue joy of being beautified in the bride of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.